It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. little bit different this time around. It is a Sunday afternoon and we are coming to you with a live show. And actually, you know, this makes a lot of sense because once we get to the season, we'll be having a lot of live podcasts on Sundays. Uh, so this is a little bit of a dress rehearsal for us. Uh, he is Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino. This is the Shout Buffalo Football Podcast live edition. We had I was out at training camp today. They had a Sunday practice. So as we have all week, we are going to get live and talk to you guys uh, for about 20 to 30 minutes with, with some of my observations, reactions, so on and so forth. If you want to leave a comment, uh, and, and something specifically you're looking for us to talk about, we will hit that always. And and as always, please head over to wherever you guys get podcasts, whether it be on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, um, subscribe to the podcast there rate and review. I know this is the live edition, but it really helps out and it goes right to there afterwards. So, uh, Ryan, how are you, my friend? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm great. We had a little sun today. It was, it was a hot one out there and, you know, practice obviously got pushed back an hour, a couple Northeast teams around the league dealing with a lab issue in New Jersey, some false uh, positives here we've we've seen uh, from COVID. And actually, if you're just kind of getting up to speed on things here, Adam Schefter actually just reported before we went live that Josh Allen was, uh, according to one of his league sources, was one of the guys uh, on the bills that uh, had a false positive. If he tests um, negative tomorrow, which would be a second negative test in a row, he can return to practice. And uh, from Adam's report, that is the expectation. But, uh, you know, a lot of people, this is interesting. We talked to Brandon about it today, Ryan, on the, uh, he did a quick uh, video conference call right before we went out to practice. And, you know, he kind of said this was a nice fire drill because if this happens in season in three weeks, when there's games, they're going to have to kind of adjust on the fly. And I feel like the bills more than any team or more than most teams, I should say, are really equipped to deal with this because it was even Matt Barkley who said today, uh, we'll talk about his day on the practice field, but he was in a press conference as well. And he said, this is the life of a backup quarterback. And, and it was just another day for us. There was no uh, him and hawing. It was just get out to, to the practice field and get to work. Yeah, but, you know, this, this is wild to consider and to think about because you're right. We're three weeks away from actual games being played. And this happens in three weeks time. All of a sudden, an important divisional game against the Jets. Uh, could have a backup quarterback or a or a star player on the defensive side of the ball out of action. It, it's just something where you know. It, I guess it's good to get the preparations down now. The the fire drill, as Brennan Bean put it. But you have to hope that the lab, especially if these are all false positives, that they get whatever the issue is under control now, so this doesn't happen during the regular season, or we don't see another instance of, of this happening. So. It, it is a little worrisome. I, I did find it interesting as well that Schefter mentioned that Allen is one of six Bills players uh, who, who got the false test, the false positive test results this weekend. Because as you guys were at practice, you know you were noting certain players weren't out there, uh, and it didn't quite add up to that six. So we're gonna have to wait until that transaction wire comes out here in a few hours 
and, and see who else is on that list. But definitely something interesting for the, for uh, everyone covering the team this morning, I'm sure. Yeah, it was just like a little bit different. Uh, I see some questions in there. Daniel, is the lab in Western New York? No, it's in New Jersey. And, and, and that's kind of, you know, a hub for a lot of the Northeast teams. Some of the teams that also dealt with this issue, the Cleveland Browns, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers and, and, and several other teams. Um, but, you know, to your point, Ryan, I mean, this is going to be something that's crazy. And I think that's interesting is that this is something that popped up. Maybe it's a positive thing that it did, you know, three weeks before the start of the season. The NFL could really kind of go back to the drawing board here and say, OK, what kind of protocols do we want to institute to help teams deal with this if it does happen in season? Because, you know, if it's if it ends up being a false positive, you know, should Josh Allen, who finds out on say maybe a Friday or even a Saturday morning, should he not be able to play because he needs two negative tests? How quickly do those negative tests have to be spaced out? So, you know, there's so many things that this is another wrinkle to the season. And, and also, you know, it makes you wonder if the bills will be comfortable moving on from Matt Barkley when it comes down to cut down time. You know, I know a lot of people, I uh, saw one comment asking about, you know, how Jake Fromm looked today and, you know, I'll get to my observations. I, I didn't think Jake Fromm or or Davis Webb really wowed too much today. There was one play from Fromm um, that we'll mention later in the show. But Matt Barkley is so used to this. Not only is he used to the system, he's familiar playing with Brian Dable now. This is going to be his third season. Familiar with Josh. Uh, he's had to go into a game before. He's had to start a game before, um, you know, in this system. But he's also an experienced backup in this league. Jake Fromm has been a starter at Georgia. You know what I mean? And I think Davis Webb, to a lesser degree, he hasn't had as many live in-game regular season reps as Matt Barkley, but he's probably even more um, prepared to to assume that role than than a Jake Fromm. So that's going to be that. That's all going to play into things this year, and that's just the the nature of the COVID world. Yeah, and that just speaks to the importance of having a veteran backup. You know, we, a few weeks ago when we had Sal on the show, we were talking about. Would you feel comfortable trying to get Jake Fromm on your practice squad and have a team potentially steal him versus Matt Barkley? And, and based on what happened today, I, I would say I want Matt Barkley on my main roster because you need that veteran presence. If something like this popped up, you want to make sure that you have someone who's good to go, that you're not worried about being taken off your roster uh, in that 48-hour window week to week. So it's definitely something that I'm sure is going to have to be in the back of the minds of Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott and everyone else uh, who, who goes in the decision-making process of, of finalizing this roster when that time comes. 100%. All right, let's dive into this practice today because it was a um, – the pads were on. It was another thought-up version, and you know, Brandon Bean said on his in his press conference today that the expectation is that they go to more of a scrimmage-like atmosphere on Thursday again, uh, kind of treating that like the, the game of the week, maybe replacing those preseason games. Nobody said that, but I think that that probably would be the ideology there. And um, so I'm wondering if one of these two practices in the next two days is going to be a little bit more up-tempo, maybe some tackling. Uh, but today was kind of, uh, you know, it was dialed back a little bit. It wasn't as um, physical as last Thursday in the stadium, uh, but there was definitely some things to observe. And, you know, I think we're going to start with the quarterbacks, right? I mean, it was uh, Matt Barkley who really, um, he probably got, I want to say three to four 11 on 11 drills, like full 11 on 11 drills where um, they were kind of going through different scenarios. And he mentioned it um, in his press conference 
he was talking on the side with Stefan Diggs while they go, they were going through some individual work and kind of where he wanted to see him um, break on a ball, where he wanted him to be, where he was going to deliver it um, on a short slant route. And lo and behold, a few minutes later in the team drill, it was Matt Barkley to Stefan Diggs for about a five-yard touchdown on a slant round, perfectly run. Uh, he beat Levi Wallace. That was the lone touchdown of the day, the lone touchdown drive of the day. This defense continues to play really well. Um, but that whole drive was almost like the uh, the buzz of practice. Like that was the the big moment of the day. It was I think it was a seven yard play, seven play drive. There was a few completions. Four of them went to Stephon Diggs. A lot of like short short routes, but the first one was on a, a screen in the right flat, where I felt like. Um, that just to me looked like a play that I've envisioned Stefan Diggs running in this offense since they made the trade for him. It was get the ball in his hands quickly, right off the snap, take out any uh, distractions. It's it's the receiver versus the defense. And you just saw the power of the way that he was able to turn up field uh, just hits a second level. Um, really just the speed, the quickness, uh, the awareness of where the defenders are. And again, they're not tackling, but it's just, you could see that it really jumps off the page at you. Yeah. I, I like what you said in your observations about how, you know, it's, it was another great day from Stefan Diggs, but at this point it's what you just come to expect. It's, it's just almost ho-hum at this point. And, and he really, you, we really haven't been able to see him that much. So it's just, that's just how impressive this guy is and, and how much of a factor he can be for this team going forward. Uh, but what about the other quarterbacks? You know, there was someone that asked about Jake Fromm, as you said. You said he had one really good throw. So maybe we'll let's touch upon that before we move on to another question in the comments or talk about another positional group. Yeah. Um, so Jake Fromm, nothing like, you know, we can't get into how the reps were split up. So I can't really tell you uh, anything super specific. I can only just say that nothing really popped other than one play. And it was the guy on the other end of the, the throw that I think was the reason the play happened, but it was Gabe Davis. Again, uh, the rookie fourth round wide receiver ran a little slant, a little bit of a crossing route over the middle. Jake Fromm saw it, got the ball in his hands, and it was the, the Jets were turned on again, just like the route that everybody saw or the play that everybody saw him run um, from the scrimmage last week. It was the same kind of deal. I mean, he turned it upfield, kind of beat his man on the uh, uh, across the middle, got to that left sideline, and then charged upfield. And they weren't tackling, so I'm not sure if he would have been taken down in a normal game environment. But it was uh, – I am I continue to be surprised at the speed of Gabe Davis. And I shouldn't be because I've gone back now and watched some of the, his, his tape at uh, Central Florida and – or UCF, I should say. And that, to me, is – there's a lot of speed there. You know, I, I noticed that what he was able to do, how he was able to win. And sometimes I think you got to go beyond the scouting report on a guy. And I think that that's what Brandon Bean and company did to target Gabe Davis. And, you know, Brandon Bean is always quick to slow everybody's roll and rightfully so. I mean, earlier this off season, when they were talking about, he was asked about the bills potentially being the favorite in the AFC East. He was like, wait a second, there's still Bill Belichick out there. You still got to go through the Patriots to win this division. Okay. I, I, I see you working there, Brandon, but I would say that, you know, we're sitting here, especially back then, probably the bills more so as the favorite, but he said today that he thinks that rookies across the league are going to struggle this year because there's just not the kind of runway to figure things out. But the cool thing about Gabe Davis is he spent the off season 
you know, really getting up to speed before he ever got to the facility. I mean, Matt Barkley mentioned working with him a bunch of times out in California and how quickly, you know, early on in the process, how quickly he already had a foundational uh, fundamental understanding of where to line up, where to set up on a route. And so you're seeing that comfort level play out on the practice field now, and we're just getting started here. And so I'm, I wrote in the, in the observations, I really think that despite there being a, a very, very set starting three who are going to get a lot of snaps and a lot of targets between the three of them, I think Gabe Davis is showing that he's too talented and too ready not to be implemented in some way. Yeah, I love that talk too. And Sean McDermott, same thing, splashed cold water on the rookies this week when he kind of said a lot, a lot of runway in front of them. You know, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves pretty much. Uh, and yet here we go. I, almost every single day it's been Gabe Davis has done this. Gabe Davis has looked really good. And, and and the beauty of this is Gabe Davis does not have to come in and, and, and be a featured receiver. There's not a lot of pressure on him because you have Stefan Diggs, you have John Brown, you have Cole Beasley. So if you do run those four wide receiver sets, you're having him out there with those defenses paying so much attention to the other three that he could really make a, a an impact, and I don't know what that means in terms of receptions, but he could make one big play every game or every other game for this team because their attention is going to be elsewhere. So it, it is promising to see how quickly he's gotten up to speed. And, and yeah, there probably aren't going to be as many impact rookies this year because of the whole offseason being shortened, but he could be a guy that steps up. Now, any other receivers or pass catchers, so I guess I'll open it up to even the, the tight end position that caught your eye today. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about Tyler Croft. I made a nice play today, but before I do, it's interesting. I've, I've put out now four observation pieces and I feel so bad. I've not mentioned Isaiah McKenzie in any of them. And I probably should have to this point because he's just been really, really sound. He's been really good as he's been, you know, as he was all last year. I, I thought that every time he was given an opportunity, he was out there making plays, but he looks just fast. He looks like a different level fast. And I'm not surprised. I've been, if you, if you don't follow him on social media, I, I definitely recommend it. And to be honest with you, I'm, I'm a guy that is always kind of poking around on social media for any types of training tips as I try to, you know, keep my, uh, you know, all the work that I did when I was out in Vegas together and somehow being back in Buffalo and just eating terrible. Uh, but so I'm always poking around and, and McKenzie's Instagram, some of the, you know, the workouts that he's posted, I mean, it's no surprise that he looks in like in tip top condition. There was a couple big plays that he made today. Um, he's just so fast. He's another guy, uh, you could add to the, to the pile, like of Cole Beasley, Stefan Diggs, John Brown too, that just have just great, um, at the line of scrimmage, um, you know, athleticism, fluidity to their routes, the, the quick feet, the ability to separate, it's it's fun to watch, and he had a he had a bunch of receptions today. I mean, I I, I don't even track them because a lot of times they're like they're very short plays, um, but they're 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 moving the chains, and and I think that all of these weapons that can work in that five to seven yard range are so important for Josh Allen. Um, it really makes you wonder. I I don't think they can cut Isaiah Hodgins. I just don't think they can do it. But I don't think they can cut Isaiah McKenzie either, and I think Duke Williams is making a great case for himself. So. Can they keep seven wide receivers? It's it's still going to be tough to convince me that they, they'd they be willing to, but I think you can make a case for it because that's how good Isaiah McKenzie has been playing. Yeah, it, it, like you said, there's going to be so many tough decisions this year. Not that there haven't been in years past, but this roster is so talented and deep uh, across the board that 
especially at the wide receiver position. We've already talked about the top three. We mentioned Gabe Davis. He's a lock, obviously, being their, their first wide receiver picked in this year's draft for the team. Uh, Andre Roberts, I know people you know, are, have gone back and forth on that. He, I'm sorry, but I view him as a lock based on his return abilities, based on that he's so sound with the football in his hands. You are, and the you fact, are correct, Ryan. Yeah, and, and the fact that you know Sean McDermott is, is so big on, on – no turnovers in a game, and you need that, especially on the punt and kick returns. And and so you, you have him there too. You mentioned Hodgins, so maybe this is the first year that they break off from six wide receivers and they do hold seven because we've seen what Isaiah McKenzie can do, not just as a gadget player, but he's coming off of a career year too in terms of receptions, and, and he he can get open underneath. He can bring a little bit something extra to this offense as well. It's just going to be so so difficult for this team when it comes to crunch time and. Yeah, we've seen Duke Williams making those clutch plays in, in, in practice, but he, you know, there's only so many you can carry. So I don't know where he sits either at this point in time. It's just going to be so tough for Bean McDermott. And that's a good thing. This is a good problem to have. This is what Bills fans have been waiting for for, for at least, you know, I, I can't think of a more talented team since that early 2000s team that had led so and they, you know, they just kind of missed out on the playoffs with that, that team. So, it's a good problem to have. Now, you, you did mention Tyler Croft. What do we see from Tyler Croft today? Great play. And it was really the big fir- the first big splash play from a tight end, you know, that I can remember in this in this last week here of camp. Uh, it was uh, just a little bit of a kind of like a flare route or maybe a short little uh, screen route to uh, the tight end. He was r- lined up on the left side. And uh, I think it was Jordan Poyer who came down into the box to cover him and he kind of slipped past him. And, and I think either Poyer lost track of him or there was some real speed there to get by him. It was tough to see from the angle that we had, uh, but Barkley put a nice ball over his shoulder, fell right into his hands. He ran it downfield about 30 yards, just a really nice play. And I think it reminds everybody that, you know, Tyler Croft's in the mix here. And I know that there's so many expectations for, Dawson Knox and rightfully so it's a guy that I think everybody expects to be um, a bigger part of this offense and somebody that can um, maybe build upon a really strong solid rookie season but Tyler Croft I think that they have pretty good expectations for him as well and I think he he almost becomes he reminds me in a lot of ways a, a much different situation and he's not had nearly the amount of success in the NFL as John Brown has had but just to use that as an example, I think you take Tyler Croft out of that tight end one role and let him be a tight end two. And I think he just becomes a lot more dynamic and just a little bit better when, you know, all eyes maybe aren't on him. I know he has that one season of production from Cincinnati, but, you know, I like him in that role. And I think the Bills really like him in that role. Uh, they, they switched around his contract in the offseason. So they kind of motivate him a little bit. This is a contract year for him. So, you know, you're seeing a lot of good things from the offense, even though it's daily a grind against the defense. That's obviously um, much more. Um, what's the best way to put it? They're just further along at this point. More, um, they're playing together a little bit better. They all have a solid understanding of where they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to be doing. Where I still feel like the offense is kind of shaking off the rust a little bit. Yeah, and that's to be expected because of the continuity on the defensive side of the ball. Even the new additions that they have, uh, a lot of them have Carolina experience, so they've played under McDermott, whereas on offense you have digs. You have some offensive line pieces you're still trying to figure out. Uh, there's a question here in the comments about Reggie Gilliam, who's been seeing some time. 
because Pat DeMarco out. So, I mean, e even pieces like that, there, there's a lot going on. And, and today, Josh Allen not being able to be out there. So, uh, I don't think it's any surprise that an elite defense that's been up there near the near the top five in the league for the last few seasons is outperforming the offense. But you're right. It's promising to hear Croft having these promising plays in the offense as a whole. Uh, so, I, before I guess we flip over to the defensive side of the ball, Andre in the comments says, I've been wondering how Reggie Gilliam has been doing as a blocker. So, you know, anything that stood out to you? I know that Sal mentioned that he's actually been doing uh, – Sal from WGR has said that uh, right now Reggie's doing everything you could ask for. 100%, and I've noticed him as a blocker. I, and I think that, um, you know, without getting too much into the weeds here because of what we can and can't say, I, I think that, you know – you know, I could say that, you know, there's been plays where I've noticed, you know, significant holes opened up for, you know, whether it be Zach Moss or Devin Singletary, and he's the only fullback on the field right now. And so it would be a great question once we get a chance to talk to um, Brian Dable uh, the next time we get him, if we get Bobby Johnson at some point here um, about the development of Gilliam over the course of the last few weeks. But from, you know, the, a spectator's eye, I think that, there's really not much you could say that that Reggie Gilliam isn't doing right now to make a run at that job. Yeah, and that's encouraging as an undrafted free agent uh, that, that he has been able to come in and make that kind of an impact early on when given the opportunity. Now, flipping things over to the defense side of the ball, someone was asking about the linebackers. I know that uh, you know they've been a little banged up there, but how has the linebacker unit looked so far? So when I put out my 53-man roster projection, I I think I talked about um, you know maybe being able to stash Corey Thompson and Tyrell Dodson um, on the practice squad. And we're a weekend, and I'm I'm already struggling, not wanting to put Tyrell Dodson on the final 53-man roster of this team. I think he's playing that well. I think he's so versatile. He's somebody that's I've literally been told from interviews over the course of the last year how smart he is as a football player. And I mentioned this a couple of times on the podcast. And I just think that, you know, I'll be able to talk a little bit more about this once we get past the 53-man roster breakdown and uh, a little bit about what I saw in camp from him. But it, that'll be worth tuning into because I think that, you know, he's he's somebody that offers them such great flexibility and it's just going to come down to who really wins the competition on special teams, who really makes an impact on Heath Farwell and what they're able to do in a lot of the, the special teams drills and it, and everything like that. But um, from a starting perspective, yeah, I think Tremaine Edmonds, I mean, again, there's not a lot you can really take away from this right now, especially a practice like this where they're not tackling. Um, but by all accounts, you know, talking to Sean and Leslie, I mean, he's he's taken another step already in just his off-season development. So we'll see what that means on the field when these things get these games get going. Yeah, and you know, going back to Dodson real quick, it's not necessarily Dodson versus Vashon Joseph, but if it does come down to that, I don't think the Bills are going to sit there and say, "Well, we we use a draft pick on Joseph." If Dodson's been outperforming him, the other option at that point in time, they're going to go with the one that's performed better. That's one thing we've seen from this regime. Uh, they're going to reward the players that have performed. So at the end of the day, if, if Dodson keeps jumping off the page or you keep noticing him and how he's played and he is as smart as, you know, as we believe he is, there's, you know, there's a good shot for him to make this roster. Definitely. And, you know, I think it also comes down to who do you trust in this kind of situation? Because we've seen, 
like in this kind of season. We've seen over the last couple of years, Tremaine Edmonds deal with a, an injury or two. Matt Milano, who's missed an extended amount of time on two separate occasions. So um, the, the, you have to be comfortable with who you have uh, at, at the bottom of your roster. A little injury update. Josh Norman's still out uh, with the hamstring. I'd imagine he's going to be out for a little while as he uh, bring gets that kind of figured out. And interesting enough, Brandon Bean said the team is not currently um, – planning to sign a cornerback or, you know, they're, he said they're keeping um, kind of like a, a rolling list of guys they can bring in for workouts if need be, but there's not an immediate um, need. Uh, they want to get some reps for some of the younger uh, cornerbacks. I mean, guys like Dane, Dane Jackson and Cam Lewis and even Ike Brown to a lesser degree to kind of see what they have in all those guys. Um, especially, you know, to me, what that probably signals is this, isn't as serious as probably first feared when the injury happened, because, you know, if Josh Norman goes down and we know Levi Wallace got dinged at the end of last year and had to miss a start, uh, couldn't play in the playoff game. You would think they would want to, you know, go and, and figure out a way to um, get some depth there. But we, we remember last year too, when they fit Sean McDermott felt plenty comfortable going into a game if the situation called for it, throwing Saran Neal or Taron Johnson on the outside too. So they have position flexibility there as well. Yeah, and it's good for the younger guys maybe too to get some experience. Cam Lewis, Dane Jackson, uh, and it speaks to what they think of them and the fact that they don't want to rush necessarily and sign someone that's out there on the market. But uh, I think the Bills and every team for that matter is going to have a thorough list of players in mind because this year with injuries and possible COVID tests, you need to have a, a list at every position ready to go and say, if we need to sign someone, here's who we have. So I, I'm sure they're doing their due diligence, but at the same time, I'm glad they're not necessarily rushing into action to uh, bring in someone else to, to that uh, secondary. Now, staying on the side of the secondary, you mentioned Dean Marlowe in your article, another guy who, in, in terms of numbers, it, I'm not saying he's on the outside looking in, but that secondary is pretty loaded with with talent. So what did you see from Marlowe today and how has he been doing overall at camp? Oh, he's been really good. And I think that, you know, going into this thing, you know, it's no secret, you know, why Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean keep some of these guys around or keep going out and getting certain players. I mean, there's a trust factor there as well. And there's a familiarity and Dean Marlowe fits that role. Like he can play so many positions. It was, we saw last year, he could play uh, both safety spots. He can play that big nickel corner role, which, you know, Sean McDermott is always kind of eager to play. And, you know, we, we've seen Saran Neal in that role and uh, over the, over his career. And I think Dean Marlowe, is somebody that offers great flexibility, high football IQ, understanding of the scheme. And to me, that's like a, you know, a big three right there of uh, can't miss traits. I think he takes over that Kirk Coleman role. I think he's ready to kind of assume a bigger leadership role uh, on this defense. And, you know, most years I would love to have just, you know, after practice, uh, walked over to Jaquan Johnson or um, Josh Thomas, who uh, is, is another undrafted UDFA uh, safety and just ask them what it's been like, not only, you know, learning from Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, because we know how much you can learn from those guys, but what's it like to learn from um, Dean Marlowe? Because I know for a fact, so many guys, Taron Johnson included, whose locker was right next to Kirk Coleman last year. That's years of institutional knowledge at your disposal. And so the bills do a really good job of setting that up in their locker room, player driven leadership and player driven um, education, like, you know, make sure that these younger guys are brought, are brought along just, just as much, uh, from, as, uh, led if you will. So, uh, D Marlowe's playing well, had an interception today, easily could have had two, 
uh, one in the seven on seven, uh, which was just a, actually was a screamer from, from Matt Barkley that went over the head of John Brown and just, it, it, he didn't see it in time. And then the interception as I wrote about in the story. Yeah. Very interesting. And then I guess going over to special teams, kind of a, a big day kicking wise as we, as you guys got to see Tyler Bass again. So what do we see from Tyler Bass today? He was, um, he was great to start things off. And it was interesting because, you know, we, we noted in the, in the last four practices, there's been a couple of occasions where he's missed the, on those 49 or less kicks, which is one of the big question marks going into the year. Like, can you trust Tyler Bass to, you know, you know, he's probably going to make the long one. He's so comfortable there. Can you trust him to make the short ones? Well, today he was a perfect four for four on everything under 45 yards. And then they moved it to 54 and he missed two right wide, right. And the second one was way wide, right? So, I mean, big day for Steven Hauschka who didn't kick, but is now almost given the opportunity to really take, maybe move himself into the driver's seat. We saw him hit a 50 yarder at the end of practice on Thursday. So if he could come back maybe tomorrow, get the same um, drill and, and, and make maybe one of those 50 yarders in addition to the other ones. I mean, he could really pull, pull ahead in this competition. Yeah, and that's huge. Uh, you know, I, I've said from the get-go, you said from the get-go, that if all things are close, we, you know, at least I, I believe it's Bass's job to lose in that situation because they use the draft pick on him. But he's leaving the door open either way for Hauschka. Uh Making those shorter kicks, and then if he would have hit on one of those 54-yarders today, that really would have put some pressure on Hauschka the next time you guys were able to see him kick. But now, like you said, if it's 50, 51, 52, and Hauschka goes out and nails it tomorrow – uh, or, or whenever you see him next, it is, and he's still solid from those shorter kicks. Well, well, then maybe it's not so cut and clear what they're going to do there because in such an important year, they probably want to make sure that they have a kicker they can trust and depend on. So definitely something uh, to monitor as we continue here going into this week's set of practices. 100%. All right, let's wrap this thing up. We've been about 30 minutes here on this Sunday. We will probably be back. Uh, tomorrow, I'm hoping uh, if we get out to practice and we uh, again have an observation, an observation filled practice, we will be back. Um, if you're watching live YouTube, Facebook, um, Twitter, hit that like button. If you're if you're grabbing this on um, one of the podcast platforms in audio form, please subscribe, rate and review. We really appreciate it. He is my co-host, Ryan Talbot. Go read his Reggie Gilliam story from yesterday. It's great. I am Matt Perino, and we will see you tomorrow, Bills Mafia. Thank you for joining us.